Welcome to the show, everyone. We are back for yet another live broadcast after taking a week off. We might do that from time to time. Generally, we're going to be trying to keep the schedule of weekly so that uh, folks that want to follow along live and in person can do so. But... Yes. No, Eric was amazingly supportive because, interestingly, my car was stolen and I decided I couldn't handle anything. And I needed to eat all the chocolate, all of it. <laughs> I couldn't it, stop. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. Um, it, I had a car stolen like 20 some odd years ago. And um, to have that like feeling of violation and, and, and all of that like come up for me when your car got stolen was, was very weird. But they have since recovered it. They and have. it's now in the shop to have all of the damage done. And then we're going to have to figure out how to make sure it doesn't get stolen. Again, yeah. as a PSA for those of you who are located in the Denver area, apparently Kias are easy I think to it's steal. Nation, it's nationwide. It nation okay, yeah, it's Kias easy and, to steal and Hyundai is very Hyundai's desirable. Apparently, are very easy to steal. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize this, but um, the majority of their cars are not, do not have chipped keys. Yeah, but so. they're but they're good cars, which is why people are buying them. And our police precinct offers you a free club if you have a Kia just to help out with that. That was literally there there uh, during the conversation. They said. When you get your car back. When you get your car back, come on down and we'll give you a free club. You know, like the, the anti-theft device. how the Denver police are handling car thefts right now. So it's like it's like a Happy Meal with a free toy, <laughs> uh, except it's not. So at any rate, um, I don't promise that every single time we skip a week that we're going to have a really fun, dramatic story. But like this time and all the chocolate. <laughs> and all of the all chocolate. Of it, really. <laughs> so, um, Yeah. So, uh, without further ado, we, we have a fun guest tonight yeah. who's going to introduce a term that I fully admit I'm not familiar with. So, I'm really looking forward to this conversation mm -hmm. and learning more about what's going on. But uh, I'm going to push the button. And, okay, yay. We're and so excited to introduce Arnella, and she'll tell you more about what she's up to and why we have her here. Welcome. So, um, Hello, yeah, why don't you um, tell us who you are, what you do, and uh, just introduce yourself. Hi, um, my name is Ornella Mata Figueroa. I am coming to you from the Northeast Kingdom in Vermont. I am a coach, a co-director, a mother primarily, a homeschool mom, and can I say I co-direct a nonprofit. I am a community member, an activist, a visionary I, and a disruptor, I think are good terms to describe me. I made up decivilizing actually. I was having a bit of an inner conflict with decolonizing and decolonization because as someone that has such mixed ancestry, I have 20 to 27 different lines of ancestry. I was struggling with the term decolonizing and I really wanted to hold it in integrity for indigenous communities and people who were directly tied to land sovereignty, which at this point I am not, although I support our local Abenaki community here. And decivilizing came from me looking at civilizing and understanding that one of the biggest pieces that civilizing did was that it disconnected us from ourselves. So when mm -hmm. I speak about decivilizing, I am talking about integrating to ourselves, connecting to our bodies, connecting to our autonomy and our individual power in relationship and as we relate to nature and community as well. So it's individual power in interdependence. I I love the idea of that this whole thing, um, and it's an interesting way of looking at it because um, you know we're talking about sovereignty and 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 how um, European culture basically disrupted most of the world at one point or another through colonialization and um you know just all of those practices it's it's almost horrifying to think how much was lost in that and and i'll be the first to admit even as um coming from a white european descent there's a white european civilization that happened to you know germanic cultures and i'm, I'm of german and italian descent that you know 
there's there's even a push amongst all of that to kind of get back, I think, to what you're talking about, more to the roots of who we were before Western thought took over, even though, you know, a lot of the European Western thought is what took over, um, you know, whether it's even looking at pagan practices and things like that. So I, I find this subject to be very mm -hmm. fascinating. Um, and, and, and I, I want to hear more about like, what, what does it actually all mean? And how, how do you talk about it with people? I think I talk about it with people depending on where anyone is at. I think the civilizing looks differently for everyone. I think it depends on who we are. It depends on where people come from and where they're inspired from. Like what is their purpose? Mm -hmm. um, so it depends. I, I mostly, I, I think that when I think of, of tools of the civilizing, I think of the Enneagram, I think of human design, I even think of evolutionary astrology, I think of uh, different, you know, emergent strategies, I think of a theory you and moving from ego into eco. Like these are all different, you know, coaching tools that I love and use and depending on where people and whom, you know, depending on who people are mm -hmm. and what they bring to me, I, you know, use some of these tools to support people in self-discovery because for me, there's a whole lot of people out there claiming to be gurus and spiritual you know, um, leaders, and I, I really want to make sure that I focus on supporting people and finding themselves, and in supporting people and finding their own sovereignty, and in not like centering myself or like my own knowledge in it. It's really about where the person is and supporting mm -hmm. individuals and finding themselves, and not continuing the cycle of of guiding in a way that that limits self-responsibility. Mm -hmm. Well, so so we one of the things that was important to us is we you know we acknowledge that it's Native American Heritage Month and there's like a lot to that that's important to to consider and part of that for us is the the contemplation of what does it mean to decolonize or like this decivilized uh, approach. And one of the things that kind of struck me in the last uh, year or so, because I've worked with a nonprofit that works with indigenous uh, women from all over the world, is that we are all actually indigenous in some way. I, I'm not mm -hmm. indigenous to this land. This is not the land that my ancestors were, uh, were born attached to. And I don't know that necessarily as a modern people, we really understand the the loss of connection that that is for us and it's not that i can't grow to connect to this land but i'm not in a society that necessarily uh obviously promotes that or promotes that importance and so we i think we just have a lot of people who are very lost because of that because and so we it's something that i feel is like helpful to remember is that when we say indigenous people we usually mean people who are still on the land and are either connected to it and, uh, and, and thriving or connected to it and being harmed. Um, <laughs> but we don't necessarily recall that everybody else has a place they are indigenous to in some way. And that is an equally important thing to cultivate. And I think a person or a society, the, the awareness of, of our symbiosis with the land that we are uh, uh, both connected to either because we live there or connected to because it's where we come from. Um, so I don't know if that speaks to you at all, but it's one of the things that I reflect on oh, in this whole process. There's so much there. Um, when I hear you, I think of, ah, oh, okay, this is also layered and complex. Yeah. Because we have where we are, mm -hmm. right? We have where we are right now. We have this moment, which are we are people who were taken from our land or sent out, right? So if we look at creating some historical context, the people that arrived here, within 10 years when the Puritans arrived here, within 10 years, the population of the United States had grown to 20,000. 
this 20,000 people came not because necessarily the people in the United States had reproduced to 20,000 people, or meaning the invaders had reproduced, but because there's a whole bunch of things happening in in England and in Ireland that sent a whole bunch of people out into the streets that then all of these people that had been serfs and that had been, you know, then are getting on, you know, there's a whole lot of trauma and, his, and history of us separated from land that we are connected to and that we love. You know, I feel like no matter the ancestry, I feel like that's one layer of the many complexities. And then there's the reality of who we are right this second. And like, how is it that we move forward? And I know there's a beauty in looking at the past, but the past hasn't given us the answers to create interdependence and connection, right? Mm -hmm. So like, we need to be moving forward to create interdependence and connection. And how do we connect to ourselves to be able to develop the inner knowing, the the inner power, like the <laughs> the pieces that we need inside of our bodies for us to create the future? Because it's beautiful. And you know, if I I wish sometimes that I had traditional elders to be teaching me about my Taino culture. Mm-hmm. I wish that I had elders that I could trust that I didn't feel that were completely colonized and, you know, like not in integrity with things that are in alignment Mm -hmm. with me as a, you know, bisexual, I will say queer, uh, mixed heritage woman with children, you know what I mean? Who I'm Mm -hmm. like layered and complex person too. Right. So many, many of us are, are like this, you know, many of us have these uh, intersections that are a part of our bodies and a part of who we are. And as we're looking to the future, I really believe it's really in us knowing ourselves in us being able to like be outside of shame in us being able to be outside of shame, blame and fear for us to then be able to create the future. And I know well, I repeated I, a lot of words. There. Well, no, that was great. But, thank you. Uh, well, here's the thing. I think you kind of nailed some of it. <laughs> it was like passion. <laughs> well, I think we, you know, we have some of the things that our parents brought us and stuff, but we're all sort of detached from this cultural thing. Um, like you said, you don't have elders, but I, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't know that there's a lot of people on the planet right now, and especially not anywhere in the United States that would have the luxury of saying that they have elders that actually represent any of their culture. Well, I do in any have way. one, but not, it doesn't represent my culture. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is my point that it's not so much. Yes. I think we have our parents. We have the things that we were brought with that. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have some people that have, had almost parental elder roles in my life that have that brought me more into touch with their culture because it's what they know and they wanted to share it. And I was happy to have that because I was happy to have anything at all because really like, I think we're all starved for that kind of connection back to our roots and stuff. I mean, I look at my family has a lot of Italians in it and it's a fairly common thing. You know, Italy was better. Um, Italian food's the best, you know, like we have that sort of thing <laughs> built in. Right. But, and it's kind of a joke and kind of not, but we we're really all kind of orphaned and detached from even that cultural thing. And, and, and I can truly say that I'm not proud to say that I'm an American. So it's not like there's any part of the American culture that I won't want to adopt. But yeah, I think that's really the, the what I heard you talking about was kind of a feeling of almost being orphaned in some way. Definitely. I definitely feel orphaned at times. And I also don't want to feel orphaned anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so there's that feeling of orphaned. And then when I think about it, I really love Brenna Brown's work. Mm-hmm. And I was just recently um revisiting her book about belonging and at some point i feel like we just have to choose to belong to belong Mm -hmm. to ourselves and uh choose what it looks like to belong to each other too and with culture i feel like there's so much disconnection yeah Mm -hmm. 
So when we look at the disconnections, there is this piece that, like, is is it is it culture or is it just connection? So is I'm going to culture. I'm, is it just love? I want to make a statement, right? and I would love to hear and, actually both of you yes. have, like and answer this um, from from the heart, as it were. <laughs> but w- would you say that maybe? part of the reason why we've gotten so tribal and so much tribalism in our culture these days might be due to us craving that. And so we've, we've made it about the things we can have tangible, whether it's um, our LGBT culture and tribe or um, our brown heritage, you know, or white heritage and, and things like that. Like, I mean, I feel like we're super tribal right now and it is based on basically traits, not necessarily history. So I'm just curious to hear, some thoughts since I just l- literally came up with that idea while you were talking. I'm curious about what you mean by tribal here. Tr- uh, not in the, um, this is actually more in the term and, and we, you know, have had like this discussion um, many times, but uh, polit- politics has basically become a tribalism right now. Um, and, and Herd. Facebook, uh, the, the, yeah. Oh, herds basically. Right. Like, um, okay. So, you know, like all of our, I'm, I am out now as gender non-binary and it has made me crave spending more time in the LGBT community now that I'm out, um, and, and kind of seeking that sort of thing. So that's just become my tribe, right? The, the group that I would associate with, but likewise, I mean, we work with, um, all sorts of black groups, um, native American groups. Uh, Hispanic groups, like all of these, you know, Latinos, all of this stuff is in our area. And I don't necessarily have things in common. So again, part of the tribe that we're in is in a progressive cultural tribe. But I'm just wondering, Mm -hmm. you know, if maybe we're not all drawn to that a little bit, especially on the progressive left-leaning side of things because of what you're talking about, the lack that there is of the family side of it Mm -hmm. is, is the tribe in this more modern sense of the tribe kind of something that maybe is replacing it. Maybe if we approach it as a replacement, that would be a positive thing. Again, postulating theories here. (laughs) Yeah. I think often we do. I think often we look at, you know, chosen families, especially Mm -hmm. in the queer communities, right? Yeah. Um, Which is something that I can definitely hold with my whole heart because... You know, like there was not a singular member of my family at my wedding, you know, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like my whole wedding was all chosen family. Um, And I know that there is that there is this connection to the queer community and the pagan community for me here in Vermont, too, is part of the reason I live here. Um, It's because of this beautiful pagan community that felt so much like tribe to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of politics, though, I think of, you know, I think of tribal and then I think of unhealth and I'm like, wait, 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 do I want to call that tribe? <laughs> oh, I, I get it. And, and I do hear. I, I think I'm asking that. that yeah, that I, I think I'm asking that because I want to see how healthy it is. Yeah. Um, and in politics, you know, one of the so I don't know if um, I used to explain explain this before. Um, and I do like reiterating it on the show when we can. One of the main goals of this show has been to talk to people, but also to bring things to center. Not not from a, you know, not, not in the centrist Democrat way that things are happening in politics right now, but more of being able to just have conversations and maybe find more common ground. Because I think politics is a mess. And the more and more we pull away into our little groups of like, the only thing I care about is LGBT rights, like. You know, or the only thing I care about is this or the only thing I care about, you know, and and I'm surrounded myself with an echo chamber. So I'm constantly fed that. I think there's downsides to it. But I also I I think I'm seeking to make the connection in how we can make it all more positive, because like you said, being in Vermont around a specific group, um, it felt like home. But I think in politics, there's there's people doing the same thing. What what how can we maybe come up with an idea a message or, um, you know, a suggested way of being that can meet those needs and still make it so that we feel okay integrating into the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of that makes sense. <laughs> it was a random well, brainstorm. So what I'm hearing from you, I was like, may I reflect you? <laughs> what I'm hearing from you is that 
that you're wondering if there is a way in which we can both belong to tribe but come together. Yeah. Exactly. Not necessarily make it about exclusion, because okay. that's been a problem. I will say I do and, think that tribal, you know, LGBT is not necessarily wanting allyship even, um, you know, in, in these various different situations that have come up. You know, there's a lot of um, gatekeeping going on. So how, how can we have tribalism without all the gatekeeping? Well, and I, I do want to say one of the things that I heard you say, Ornella, is that you make a distinction and, and I feel like that's actually an important thing to notice that there is a distinction, right? Between your chosen family or your tribe and this like more like toxic, um, political, like not even just political. I think it's a, a toxic uniformity because it, it comes at the cost of personhood. Like my, Sameness. right. There's yeah. a, there's an, there's a cultural <laughs> right? like grounding my experience of the, the tribes or groups or, you know, chosen family situations that I've been in that were positive was there was an, there was an acceptance. And that's part of what we talked about on the show. There was an acceptance of difference. I don't have to be like right with you on everything to love and support you as a human. And, and that like, and there's this weird feeling of threat in our modern dialogue of if I, if I say something and you correct me, or, um, or I, you know, bring up a fact you didn't know and you feel uncertain, like, suddenly that means bad things. It doesn't mean an opening, right? It means a, a closing of the ranks almost. And, and so I think it's that toxic uniformity that, that masquerades as a, and I'm just kind of putting this into words right now, so thank you, that masquerades as tribalism, but it's actually not that. Because those, like you said, in that distinction, those are healthy groups that are comfortable with a little bit of conflict you know, have to have that in something that is real and organic you can't have this like everything's the same and have it actually be real i think that one of the beautiful things about the queer community of i would say the 70s and the as i read about it is that it had it was like the island of misfit toys. It was everyone that didn't fit anywhere. You know, and even when I came out, it was that. That was mm -hmm. like the, the most amazing thing about the queer community is because where I couldn't feel safe anywhere else, I felt safe there as myself. Yeah. And I've heard I, that echoed to me a lot in different situations from other people. Um, when I think about sameness, oh, I think about religion. And I think about the effect that organized religion has had on our culture. I think of, uh, yeah. That's, well, let's I'm be like, clear. I'm, I'm treading lightly. <laughs> no, I and, and and I don't even feel the need to because I would I would. Okay. <laughs> just gonna say I, it. I, I've, I've said this a few times. I I have a real problem with a lot of organized religion because I think pretty much, if you want to talk about um, Asian culture, the Pacific Islander culture, any culture in North or South America, um, cultures all over Africa, pretty much any culture in the Middle East, Scandinavian. Um, you know, yeah, so I think that's all of them have been negatively affected by um, specifically uh, organized religions coming in and saying, we're smarter than you. We're going to tell you how to do it better. We're going to enforce that on you. We might kill your children. We might probably kill you. We're going to definitely take your land. We're definitely going to. And it's all in the name of the fact that we the, the idea that they came to those places and with this, you know, the manifest destiny kind of thing going on well and it's they all for your good it's all for your good so <laughs> like, i just i mean you for your good maybe like, you it's... can answer how, how do you feel about their contributions to your betterment you're very funny i grew up i, I say i'm on parole for time served because i spent a lot of time in organized religion as a child and one of the biggest pieces that brought me to the civilizing was this disconnection from self that religion did Right. Yep. So when I look at what, you know, when I look at, I don't know, at how it worked, and I, I will even stick with England, let's say, when religion came in, one of the things that I've noticed is that 
we then stop having access to the sacred and direct access to the sacred. Yeah. So we need to then have intermediaries between us and the sacred. And then we have to self-police and then we have to police thought. And then we have to police thought and shame. And then we have to, or with shame or through shame, and, you know, so then it becomes this um, inner battle of fighting against ourselves, mm-hmm. yep. no matter what, right? Like, at base, that's not even talking about everything that you described of, mm-hmm. like, stealing land, education systems, you know, like, let's not even talk about the external stuff. Like, let's even looking at the internal pieces it means that we don't have anything that's ours that gives us power yeah. separately from the church or the government or the community makes us dependent in ways that are not interdependent, that doesn't share power, that keeps power and money in just different hands, right? Like it's all been like business decisions that then you know what i mean like i see it as this mix of business decisions mixed with government decisions that then created a whole culture of disconnection in ways that that we can't even go and get vaccinated right now without us feeling I'm vaccinated, but a lot of the United States are not feeling comfortable or wanting to make the sacrifice for their community, they would say, but we don't have a government that sets an example or a religious structure that's actually set an example of interdependence and supporting one another in ways that would make that a safe choice for so many people, right? So like, while all of these folks are like, yes, let's go get vaccinated. We have all of these folks that are like, I'm not going to put my skin in that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I can't and blame like, a lot of I'm them. I'm not, you know. And <laughs> I mean, I can't if I was black, a lot of them. if if I was black and and had the history of the Tuskegee experiments, I would not trust modern medicine. That I I I most of the people that I know that we we've had you know plenty of black guests recently, even and and none of them are anti-vaxxers. But I mean, could you blame them? <laughs> yeah, right. It's it like you said at the beginning. Blame folks for that either. Right. Like the, mm-hmm. it's so layered because the there are legitimate documented motivations to have concerns. And there's also absolutely some conspiracy theories that are amplifying fear that has no basis in reality or science. And so but the <laughs> fact that they existed at all has to be oh, taken yeah. into account it has to be taken and i'm not i'm not about a particular i'm just saying like the whole there's so many layers because i agree with you obviously i personally would not judge anyone's like like i don't know your life so whatever your choice is i my mm-hmm. personal invitation around that is if for whatever motivation you have if you're if you think that vaccination is a poor choice for you i would very much encourage you to continue to follow protocols so that that way you and other people are safe. However, like that that other part, I'm like, eh, that doesn't feel like anybody's business. How and I do understand why they're doing mandates for for businesses because we are in a in a difficult and dire situation. So it's it's so it's so difficult to make any kind of definitive, you know, cut and dry like this is how it has to be. And and that's part of why I think it's important to be able to talk to people across some of these differences and kind of understand like, well, what's your concern? What is it that's that's creating your hesitancy? Are there things that could be done to to assuage that? And yes, let's acknowledge there are documented, absolutely historical motivations for especially minority populations in our country to have zero trust that the government has their best interests at heart. Zero. <laughs> so, so I do want to ask a question because, I, and let me let me let me clarify one statement. Um, I'm I'm not saying that anyone who's religious or that all religions are arbitrarily bad. I think there's some positives. I'll I'll come up with something to share on that. But I did want to like run this by you for, to the point of um, the subject deep civilization. Um, do you feel like maybe a part of decivilization in your mind would reference? 
people finding a path to their spirituality, no matter what it is. I mean, say that they even wanted to stay mm-hmm. Christian or whatever. Like, I'm just curious, um, where where does that sort of like where does spirituality fall into decivilization? I see so many beautiful Christians. I'm so lucky to follow some very amazing Christian people on Twitter. I know that, you know, I, I, I say like real Christians. And when you, when we study spiritual direction, there are so many, many beautiful different types of living spiritual lives. And regardless of whatever path we choose, I think that it can be Christianity. Of course, it's not, it's not the teachings of Jesus that are corrupt. <laughs> right? It's you know, often like, implementation, it's, right? <laughs> it's been the, the, the whole uh, prophet and system that was created to abuse whole communities in his name 320 years after he died. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and, and again, wh- so I believe that there's a million ways of being a good spiritual person. Um, and that when people have the opportunity to connect to that on their own, it, oh my gosh, like it can be, it can be really beautiful to just create your own rituals, create your own spiritual practices, um, listen like listen to nature, like be in connection with whatever it is that is around you and hear the signs, hear the information, hear if you want to call it the Holy Spirit talking with you, like whatever it is that you that that you know resonates for the individual is just fine. I think that yeah, I think that there's room in the civilizing for whatever is real for anyone. Yeah. Um, when we have a friend of the show, he was actually on our first live broadcast about a month ago, uh, Roger Woolsey. And, and he did, he showed me, um, and, and, and I will say on his behalf, thank God for him because he showed me a different path. He's a practicing Christian minister, um, in the Methodist church, correct? Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, but he is a mm-hmm. proponent of progressive Christianity. So his mm-hmm. flock as it were is, very open to LGBT and he's an activist and, and he's one of the few people that I've met doing that work. He's fighting a very lonely fight, (laughs) but I appreciate him. And, but it did make me aware that it's like, yeah, I think, I think that's what it's about. Um, not necessarily ascribing and, and joining and becoming one with something, if you will. Um, let's call it becoming civilized, but decivilizing yourself to find, um, that sort of a path. I mean, I would, I would only hope that anyone I know that wants to pursue Christianity would have the luck of finding somebody like Roger to help them on that path because they're going to have a lot better of a time than uh, trying to be uh, gay and going to a Catholic church that, you know, hasn't been always supportive. Yeah. Well, and... When, and even looking at traditional Christian teaching. But go mm-hmm. ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, when you were talking about coming out, like, I came out in the early 90s, and I had that same feeling of, like, real connection, and I left a very conservative religion at the time, and in my process, one of the things that I came to was an understanding that I had abdicated my moral authority to an institution, partially because it was um, kind of mentally, of I would say, relieving and easy to have somebody else just tell me this is what's right what's how to do it right and 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 it's funny because i when i was in that religion you know my friends would be like oh it's just so hard to follow these rules and i'm like it's actually not you know you this you know that you're doing the right thing gosh it feels really good you know (laughs) and and that i'll never have that again because as part of my exit i realized that I couldn't do that, that by giving up my moral authority, by giving up my active participation and understanding how I would engage with the people in front of me and the world around me, I was, I was giving up something very sacred. Like what I felt like it, it just, you like reminded me of that when you were talking about like being connected to our own power and in that, that sacred duty we have 
to um oh, so it looks like we lost our guest. Yeah, we thought she is so Ornella is amazing and had to drive to a hot spot to do this. And so we we told her we we understood that if we lost her, that uh we would uh banter. We'll 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 cover for her for a minute. <laughs> no, but, I, I do think this is a fascinating conversation. And I'm not trying to make it about Christianity. No, um, I know. Uh but but yeah, so oh, that was here like we go. But that um Hey, we got you back. Don't worry, we yeah, covered for you. We so. did. But I uh, know thank that, you, thank that, that feeling of like that sacred duty and it's part of being present, right? Like if I if I have this idea that someone else has told me what's right, then when I'm engaging with you, I'm engaging with an idea about what's right and who you are to a certain extent. But if I'm actually present to this is what's happening. Yeah. I am then able to be in that moment and but it's a lot more effort <laughs> and it requires more of me as a human and um it's less reassuring like I don't I don't have that feeling oh I, I got this now it's like oh my goodness you know I have to be once again more present to all of that um so it, just to no, no so and I feel in, like I feel like the I spiritual have... and cultural thing is a part of this but what other things would you call um related to decivilization maybe outside of those well i really wanted to i really wanted to respond uh -huh. oh no please do listening yeah um yeah i i hear you i hear you with the how hard it is to define it all ourselves and to create our own um good to be able to be in integrity with ourselves in which we're giving ourselves our own, this is good, this is right for us, and not have someone telling us that that is the right and the good thing to do. Um, and it's, it's hard to be in that space, especially because of this disconnection from the self. Because since we're very little, we're conditioned into this perfectionism. We're mm -hmm. conditioned into this having to have this you know, ideal behavior, this um, perfect way of, you know, like, what would Jesus do? You know, I ask myself, what would Ornella do all the time now? Because I spent so much time asking myself, what would Jesus do? I was like, no, 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 no. What would Ornella do? <laughs> yeah. Because of having to go back to that inner knowing and to step away from sameness. Mm -hmm. Because it is in that disconnection from the self that then we go into that yucky tribal mentality. Yeah. You know, it's in mm -hmm. that disconnection from then being able to have our own inner authority and our own connection to the sacred in whatever way that is, that then we go and we follow these like wild leaders and like step into conspiracy theories and, you know, are so desperate for having the right way that then, I don't know, we participate in horrible acts in community to harm yeah. other people. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well. so like I, I totally hear that, and I think that, I think that it's it's a huge part of, of what keeps us in disconnection with one another, is mm -hmm. that disconnection from the self. Yeah. So one of my favorite subjects is actually that of secular humanism, if you're familiar. Okay. Um, it's been around forever. Um, one of my favorite. Um, very outspoken proponents of secular humanism was actually Charles Schultz. People see all of the cartoons he drew for the years and years and years he did, and they see these things that a lot of people have associated with strong Christian values, right? But he was a very, very, very strict secular humanist, which is to say the concept of being able to be an ethically sound person and know right from wrong does not require an all-seeing bearded white grandpa in the sky giving you like all of your permissions and stuff like that. So um, I think what you're touching on right there actually is right in line with the, we call it a philosophy of secular humanism that we do and can fundamentally know right from wrong. We don't need to have, um, you know, invisible or even visible authority figures to do that. And if we actually kind of embrace that culturally to know, that you know, it's it's the ba it's the basis of code of law, you know. We we, we don't it, it, none of our laws actually say because God said so, right? 
So we're capable of it. But I think what, what, what I'm hearing is kind of touching on the idea that you can actually have some faith in yourself and even in your community and in society around this stuff, that there are things that are right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we can make those right choices altogether. Yes. And are, but then, you know, are we naturally good? Are we naturally evil? It depends on who you ask. Mm -hmm. So like in that way, like, of course, I'm coming to this with the assumption that if we're raised whole with loving connections as a child and as a community, we're able to make sure that we're taking care of one another in ways that keep us connected, fed, clothed and housed and educated to a degree, then, you know, we'll all be able to grow into more connection and more production of things that we need. You know what I mean? Like, I do believe that we, we can sustain ourselves mm -hmm. and continue to, to evolve in health, whatever that may look like. Right. Cause I feel like it could look differently in any, there's no one right way of doing it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and again, um, I, I, like, I like that subject because it does take out the, the, the need for authority to determine that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it does, it, it does take responsibility. And, and I don't know why that terrifies everybody so much. I mean, again, I think that would probably be right Shame. in line. With, yeah, yeah. It, well, well, but be, it feels like it'd be right in line <laughs> with the whole decivilization concept of, of understanding that, yeah, I mean, you've got to raise your kids and... and teach them well and, and give them a loving environment, teach them right from wrong. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you're beating them over the head with a Bible or with, you know, just showing them the right way to be. Hopefully the outcome would be the same that they would at least come out of it mm -hmm. as, you know, functioning members of society that are in touch with themselves and do understand right from wrong. I do think you're hitting on a theory that, and I think Ornella and I are actually probably in alignment based on what, what you said, in, in that there are folks who believe that children are kind of a blank slate and you like fill them up. And then there are folks who believe they come kind of whole and perfect and you do your best to kind of stay out of their way and orient them to the world we're in, right? Like like okay. in terms of saying like, and that that's more my I, my kids, my experience of them was that they had very distinct personalities pretty much from the beginning and my goal was to give them support and tools to navigate life and to know what was important to them. And that was it. Like, I, I, I like wanted them to know that I loved them. I wanted that to be clear. I wanted to provide them with a, a you know, safe environment that fostered their, you know, ability to, to discover and the tools to know what was important to them, right? And then the rest of it is kind of on them. And that's a really different, right? Like that's a different model than the, I'm going to teach you how to be <laughs> and who you are, right? Like, and I think fundamentally the distinction there is kind of what I want to reference when you were first saying like Western thought was sort of an issue, but I think it's more that like dominant, what we're calling colonizing, like I know best thought. I, fi I find that to be very destructive for humans, whether they're children or not. Um, but so, yeah, there's probably plenty of non-Western governments doing that in a bad way right now. Oh, gosh. We could spend a whole hour <laughs> talking about parenting. Yeah, and no, I will true. tell you that my number one rule is to not get in their way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that was mine. <laughs> and to not get in their way, I just keep reminding myself, don't get in their way. Yep. To give them the most love and connection that I can. Yep. And... Yeah, I just listen to them. I seriously, I listen to them and try not to get in their way. And when I do that, they teach me every single day. And I am a million times better mm -hmm. in the whole world because of what they teach me. Yeah, no, I feel that way for my, my I feel like I, the human that I am today is absolutely the result of disciplining myself to show up in that and and I, I am a much better human than I would have been if I hadn't had that experience. So I'm very grateful to them for teaching me. So I really feel where you're at there. And it's a very different approach than I feel I see in the, the larger sort of co not conversation and narrative around yeah. how to be in that. And it's honestly, I think, quite mm -hmm. confusing sometimes for people when you express like, you know, obviously 
you set boundaries. Like, it's not like I let them run into the street without containing them. Like, it's it's not this extremism that people go to where you're like, come on, get If a you hinder them in any way, they'll <laughs> fail. No. no, like, it's not that, but it, it's about, like, it's a very different kind of, um, you know, loving awareness that con- that puts the burden on the appropriate person, in my opinion, the adult who needs to be the one to change and meet and grow and and give them the space to discover. So I, I just really want to say, like, I appreciate and resonate with what you said there. And I feel like there's a natural extension of that. Like, it's so hard for people to comprehend how to do it in a parenting environment that they just, I think, can't even their brain breaks when they think of doing it maybe in a business environment. And actually, if we have a minute, like, I know that's how you guys run yeah. Safe Art in, in that same yeah. way. And I think it'd be great for people to hear a little bit about a construct oh, yeah. that is yeah. actually fostering engagement without this, like, dependence on hierarchy that people seem to assume is necessary, but isn't, right? Absolutely. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for mentioning Safe Art. I work for a beautiful nonprofit named SafeArt, and our goal is to address trauma in communities through creative expression. So all of our programming focuses on creativity and um, different ways of working with trauma and supporting adults and young people to connect and dream and create and integrate. We use movement, theater, art, a lot of circling up. I've been doing a lot of ego to eco work. I've been using Theory U a lot. I find that it works, that it is an effective tool and has good language to use in different communities. Um, And uh, we have a co-directorship. We have a non-hierarchical structure and there are two of us that are the executive branch of the organization and it's Cleopatra Griffin and I, and she's the co-director of operations and I'm the co-director of programs. And we, we have a shared leadership. Everybody comes to the table. We have an amazing board um, that really works well with us and as far as like round table type of oversight, we set all of our goals, we set all of our, uh, all of our deadlines, all of our development, everything. And it's the best structure I've ever worked in. Like, I, I don't even know how to, like I, I had no point of comparison when I started working at Safer and what we've created with a lot of trial and error mm-hmm. um, and a lot of uh, trial and good, clear communication and at times making mm-hmm. mistakes and then, you know, learning and going from there and like building trust and continuing to move forward and, you know, challenging ourselves to, you know, be fearless and to not be stuck in the old paradigms. And it's been working really, really well. I'm it's a fascinating sounding thing. Um I'm curious what 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 kind of um groups are you working with specifically right now? I might have oh. lost again. Um well how about I pull up or could you pull up the the website it's right here and uh we could share the screen. You know, people can see a little bit about what they're doing. Yes. Um and uh because uh yeah. I can make that happen. Safeart.org. Um, but yeah, no, what was one of the things that really excited me about talking to Ornella is that a lot of nonprofits have the desire to make things different, but they don't always have the capacity um, to, you just have to hit share and it'll show up. No, oh. I was just thinking um, they, Yeah, they don't have the capacity to actually make those changes because of our funding models. Like they want to engage in more maybe disruptive or um, like different kinds of um, work that are non-hierarchical, but oftentimes a funding structure doesn't create space for that. And so um, can I pop that in? There we go. So this is the um, their website and the kind of some of the work that they're doing in um in the community uh in vermont where ornella is 
And it was just really neat to read about the work that they're doing with uh, students and that they're doing in community to create engagement and uh, safety and wellness. I'd love to see something like this modeled actually nationally. And I also really value what Ornella was talking about, that it is a non-hierarchical structure in which the participants and the, the people that are engaging with the program are in conversation, the people who are funding are in conversation about how to make this all successful for the community without result, resu resorting to that more typical, like dominant uh, colonial approach. Well, well it's interesting because I think, you know, um, the nature of the work we do with the show and the people we talk to, everybody's always asking, like, what can I go and do? Um, and I think it's it's organizations like this, if you get, get involved, yeah. um, if you if you want to just be a part of things. I think it's it's really um, it's really worth pointing out that this is the sort of thing, and and it may not seem like it's going to affect change or uh, you know around the country or make everybody's life better, but really doing this stuff at a grassroots base level that's the easiest way to actively affect change mm -hmm. and to do things. So yeah, well, and it. So I was listening to, I, I told you, I, I downloaded this meditation app, very new agey, um, and I'm loving it. So I guess there you go. I've identified, outed myself as that. And uh, it had a, a a story that I've heard before that I thought was a really good reminder. It was talking about, you know, there's this king and he's got these three questions, like what's the most important thing? Who's the most important person? And, you know, something else. I don't remember, honestly. What And when's the most important time or something? And the... You know, he goes through these experiences and really comes to understand that, like, the most important person is the person that you're with. And the most important thing to do is what they what they need, like, if they're in pain or joy, like, to meet them and be present. And the most important time is now because it's the only time we have power. Yeah. We, we don't have any power over the past and we actually don't have any power over the future. The only time we are able to do anything, influence anything is right now. And... Um, it was such a great reminder, and I think that that's when people talk about doing local politics or um, local engagement. Really, what they're talking about—it's not don't 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 like say, oh, the world doesn't matter. Of course, we care about the rest of the world, and the place that I can have influence, that I can affect change, that I can actually do good and make someone's life better—that's here and now. That, yeah. That's where I have that, and if if everybody did that. If they did the best they could, right? Because we've all got our own inner, you know, difficulties. But if we all did what we could right here and now to ease burdens and make things better, I think we'd see a big difference. I really do. Yeah. No. And and that's the thing. I mean, I, I think that's just generally good advice. If 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 not now, when? Um, so many people have mm -hmm. interesting criteria about when they want to engage and do things, but the reality is, um, you know. No, no time like the present, as it were. Right. And and that's, um, and once again, like, I, I feel like it's so important to recognize, and that's where the lack, like, from my personal commitment to not judging folks is just that we never know what someone's dealing with. You have no idea. People can look very healthy. I knew a woman in um, a few, several years ago, and she was always well put together and, like, the life of the party, and she had this uh, blood disease that made her um, feel pain literally every minute in her veins. <laughs> I was like, wow, that sounds horrifying. Yeah. And and so she didn't do very much because she like her her entire insides felt pain all the time. Yeah. And so, but but when she could, she would, you know, put on like what she could to go out and engage and and bring, you know, uh joy or or connection. And so it's but it wasn't something she talked about, right? Like she didn't yeah. want that to be the conversation she was having with people. So just remembering like it, it, all I can do is judge my capacity. Say, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I want to show up. Yeah. And this is what I can offer and recognize that, you know, other people are doing what they're doing and maybe you can work with them and you don't need to worry about what they aren't doing because they've got their own thing going on. Yeah. Um, it is looking like we might have lost Ornella for the evening. Um, she was in an interesting situation with internet. 
connectivity and stuff like that. So, um, well, we'll definitely, obviously, we'll put I was going to her... say what this means is that we're probably just going to have to have her back on I so, like sooner this than plan. later. So, uh, <laughs> so that we can properly uh, continue the conversation and, and end it on a better note than mm-hmm. this. But um, we'll put up the information here. So, um, at Decivilizing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and encourage listeners to go and look it up. I, I again, I think aside from uh, a philosophical alignment, I think it's a it's a really good view. It's it's the kind of thing that I would say this this is what we need more of. Yeah, this is who we need more of, and this is what people can go and get involved in and participate in. Um, as a as a way of you know, I mean, it, we talk it's you know, act, think globally, act locally. This is an act locally kind of a, a, a thing. And and maybe whether you, you know, were to support this organization or or find things like this in your area, it's probably the best way to notably affect change in a way that's gonna show up at least in your daily life. And yeah. and if it happened more and more often, I think we would start seeing just some general positivity in society. Uh, so I did hear from her and she said, um, unfortunately, she's not going to be able to hop back on. And uh, so obviously, I'm going to have to ask her to come back, like Eric said, because Absolutely. I really appreciate what she brought to to the show. And I love, like I said, I actually met her on Twitter and we followed each other for a year. And just she was always commenting um, and sharing just so many interesting and insightful and educational things that I reached out to her and and I asked her, would she be willing to come on the show and share some of that uh, perspective and and wisdom that she has? Because like, that's what we want to do here. This is our, 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 our agenda. (laughs) Um, Really? We we want to see the world be a better place. And Mm -hmm. I do believe deep in my heart again, that, it's folks like this and organizations like that and these sorts of philosophies that are sort of, uh, let's call it non-denominational, getting in touch with your cultural heritage and understanding other people's cultural heritage um, in a way that can be accepting and open um, and non-judgmental, but actually just fun and educational and interesting. And uh, it's, it's really important, you know, whether you're LGBT um, come from a, a Latino background, black background, you know, Pacific Islander background, like yeah. being able to share what you are, who you are, have it be accepted, find, find some common ground with people. Um, that's, that's, that's what my mission and this mm-hmm. show, in my opinion, has always been about. Yeah. I, I really appreciate, I appreciate the way that you, you bring that forward and that you, that you show up and, Thank you for everybody who has stuck with us and for the folks that are listening to this on the audio podcast, which, by the way, for those of you who are watching, we do still do those. Oh, oh, you were, did a good job. Will you read our link again? Read our link again. You know. Yes. So, um, <laughs> and we have it up here on the video. If you're not seeing it, it is. Please support our show if you can. HTTPS www.patreon.com slash Bikerian. B-I-C-U-R-E-A-N. Um, that is the easiest way to help us continue doing what we're doing. Anything that can be contributed is appreciated and allows us to continue to work both through um, the journalistic integrity we try to represent, but also um, empowering us to find more interesting things and interesting people to share and create um, hopefully a better world for all of us if we can. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, start, subscribe to us on YouTube and, or join our email newsletter at the website, bikerian.org. And look for those bikerian moments in your life. Where where do you find yourself running into the rhetoric or reactions or contradictions that shut you down? And how can you approach them with curiosity rather than certainty uh, in order to discover and grow in the ways that are open to you. And I would say with that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching anything that you have. Feel free to reach out to us with any feedback and comments and things like that. Obviously we're on Facebook, Twitter and um, through our website and, uh, and we'd love to actually hear through from, um, from you through our Patreon. So that's, that's a great way to get you know, all of this. That's a great suggestion. Our Patreon's a great way to give us feedback. But uh, on that note, we're going to sign off for the evening. Thanks to everyone who listened, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, everybody.